Garrett, let no man say that we don't hustle here on the three technique. Uh, I am not even an hour off of the 18th green of a Sunday (laughs) round of golf when we hit record on this podcast. Uh, I know you have been extremely busy as well, uh, and yet we make time for it. And I tell you what, the college football world throws plenty of news at us, transfers, playoff dates released. There's a lot to get into. First, how are you, my friend? Man, we're doing fantastic. I know you crushing it on the golf course today, obviously. Uh, me not having as much fun. A, a big chores day, you know, a lot of just getting stuff right around the house and all that. But um, time starting to ease up a little bit here as we get into the summer and uh, filling that time with a little bit of extra college football writing for our friends over at the Transfer Portal and uh, enjoying that, enjoying diving into a bunch of these teams and you know, getting all that going. That's right. Yeah, the... College Football Preview Magazine uh, from the Transfer Portal CFB will be released in early July. Uh, We are well on our way towards the editing process of that. A lot of the articles have already been written, ours included. And uh, yeah, there's just going to be a ton of fun. So shout out to those guys, our our teammates over the Transfer Portal. And uh, definitely head on over to the website, head on over to their social media. Um, You'll find the link to pre-order that magazine. It's just $9.99. And I promise you guys... Uh, I've been writing for a lot of years. I've read a lot of preview magazines. This stacks up. Uh, The quality of writing, the effort, the research that goes into it um, absolutely rivals the AAA publications. So you will not want to miss that. Uh, Another thing, Garrett, that you don't want to miss, best hats in the college football game. Shout out to our partners at University Traditions. They know that most sports fans are looking for clothing that you can wear everywhere, but also obviously give that nod to your favorite team and homegrown roots. Uh, because of that, uh, we partnered with them. It was a natural marriage, and uh, we are now in month three of the partnership. It's been a lot of fun. They've sent us a lot of uh, great hats, the Auburn Collection, College Station, Knoxville, uh, Norman. We've got a new batch of hats on the way. We'll unveil those on Instagram uh, coming up as well. Listeners of this podcast, whether you're on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, you can get a 15% off discount uh, for your entire order by using code 3TECH15. That's 3TECH15. So head on over to University Traditions website, search for them on social media, tell them that we sent you and grab yourself some of the best looking hats on the entire market. Garrett, with that housekeeping taken care of, let's dive into it, my friend. We've got 12 team playoff dates released for 2024. Uh, We'll let you walk through it and then let's discuss. I mean, there are questions flying about whether this is maybe the best postseason model we've seen so far. There are some in the media that are saying this isn't even good for college football, but uh, give us those dates to start. Right. So obviously getting this in 2024, I wish we could get it sooner, right? If we could have made this work out for this season, I would have taken it in a heartbeat. But uh, 12 team playoff coming out in 2024. Right now, the dates look like this. We have December 20th. And the 21st, that's that first weekend of the playoff, the top four get a bye. 
And then five through 12 play on campus, which I personally love. Higher seed, obviously getting the the bid there. Sure. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm super excited about that. We'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, December 31st through January 1st. So that's New Year's Eve weekend and then New Year's, obviously. Um, you get the quarterfinal. Those games are held at the Sugar, Fiesta, Peach, and Rose Bowls. Uh, and those will be obviously the winners of those versus the top four that got their buys. That's your quarterfinal right there. Uh, then it goes on to January 9th and 10th. You get your semifinals featuring the Orange Bowl and the Cotton Bowl. And then January 20th, your national championship game, which I think, I don't know if they've determined the location for that one or if they're going to let that kind of be a rotating type of thing. I'm sure they'll let it rotate between several venues and it won't be in one particular place. But uh, that is kind of the schedule. Things that immediately popped out to me, I don't know sort of what you thought, but obviously getting those games in the middle of December, I think is going to keep the college football season a little bit extended. Um, you know, it kind of feels like there's a there's a gap there. You get Thanksgiving, yep. rivalry weeks, you know, you kind of get a little bit of hangover there into the, the conference championship weekend. This makes it kind of connect in with the Christmas season and everything mm-hmm. else, um, which I think would be great. I think it'd be so much fun to have that and not just have a weird random gap and then bowl games. Right. Actually right. getting to have some of these college football games earlier on in that bowl window that, that you'd be caring about big stakes games and then on campus, too. That's a lot of fun. Um that would be towards the end of most students' semesters anyways. So kind of get to hang out, a lot of buzz in town going up to yeah. the big game. And so that for me, that seems really, really fun. Um, and then obviously just kind of the spacing between it. It seems like you get about a 10-day window between games, right? You got 20th to 21st, 31st to the 1st, 9th to 10th, and then the 20th, right? So not mm-hmm. just every week, but getting about a 10-day window. I think that would be big for rest. You get those extra couple days for travel, extra couple days just to stay rested, stay on top of it, do your game prep and everything else. But big question, obviously, a lot of people are asking is, is this good for college football? I know uh, Josh Pate, you know, he's kind of the big name right now that's in the anti-category for this. But me personally, and I don't know how you feel about this, Mitch, I'm just pro football. The more games we can play that have stakes on them, the better. I think it'd be really fun to get more games that matter. And I know one of Josh Pate's big you know, critiques of it is that it does take some of the specialness out of the regular season, right? Some of those games that you might otherwise not care so much about you know, those games become a little less meaningful. Mm-hmm. To me, though, when I look at this, I say, you know, that maybe not every single game will be as meaningful. Maybe it takes it down just a notch, but it still matters, right? A lot of these games still matter. If it's for seeding, if it's for making a conference championship, if it's for an auto bid, if it's just, you know, towards the end of the season, you're catching fire, but you lost one or two at the beginning and you're just trying to finish in that top 12 a lot of those games start to matter for fan bases a little bit more because you know there's a chance at a playoff as opposed to, you know, hey, you lost a game, you're probably out of it unless somebody else just messes up, right? right. To me, this is a huge pro, and I am I get what Josh Pate says. I just disagree with mm-hmm. it. I'm, I'm a big fan of more football, especially on campus. That would be so much fun. I agree, yeah. Let me, I'll, I'll talk about it in two parts here. One, getting playoff games on campus – major win major win by itself to me it makes the the playoff expansion worth it because you think about it college football is like the only major sport that once you get to the games that matter the most conference championships and postseason campuses or your home stadium is no longer involved right 
Your yeah. fans do not get that game in their backyard where you get to create one of the most unique atmospheres in all of sports. And to me, that was, that's been a major miss from college football as a whole over these last few years. So getting any portion of those games on the schedule, on campus, major win, I think that's going to skyrocket college football and popularity. I think it's going to keep more people invested. Going hand-in-hand hand with the counter-argument to what guys like Josh Pate say that, well, it waters down games across college football. Games no longer matter quite as much. Like you said, technically true, right? Technically, when you have Ohio State and Michigan playing each other and both of those teams are inside the top five like they were this past season, the losing team is still more than likely going to get into the college football playoff, right? So to say that um, you know that game might lose a little spice, fine. If you want to look at look at it that way, I can understand that. But what we've been saying on this podcast, and we're not alone, to get more teams involved, to have more fan bases involved all the way throughout the season is a major win. The fact that there are going to be some auto bids in here for conference championships, you don't have to be the best team in the conference or in the country to make the college football playoff, a la a Kansas State, who is very good, but I don't know that a lot of people had them making the Big 12 title game in the first place, let alone winning a Big 12 championship. Now, you can argue, well, they're not the best team in the Big 12, so why should they be in the college football playoff? That's the beauty of sports, right? There always has to be an avenue for the little guy, for the upstart, for the Cinderella. Again, I hear you if you're saying, that was TCU this year, and they made it all the way to the national championship. Exactly, and we loved it until the game. Until the game <laughs> happened, and then we wished it would have stopped. But with this 12-team playoff, you're allowing more chances for stories to be written, for chaos to happen. For us, I'm willing to sacrifice the knowledge that, okay, Michigan-Ohio State isn't necessarily for a playoff spot on the line. It's still Michigan-Ohio State. It's right. still an awesome game, right? College football doesn't have to live and die on does this game allow you into the postseason the way that pro sports do because college football is so inherently unique for the experience that comes out of it, right? Well, and you're playing for seeding. Like, seeding is something that people care about across the board. Like, yep. we don't act like regular seasons don't matter in other sports because, oh, this guy's well, – who cares, one seed or two seed? Like, that stuff matters. Like, we pay attention to that stuff in the NFL up until the very, very end. And I get that college football is different from the NFL. But at the same time, like – you can still keep what's special about college football and, you know, the, the passion, the fan bases and all of that, you can actually put it on display. That was something I hadn't considered when you said it, the idea that this is really the only sport where you don't get to have a home field advantage for the playoffs, or you don't really get rewarded to, to play at your own home stadium, to play in front of your fans. Right. You know, they, they let the top seed pick which semifinal bowl game they go to so that, you know, Alabama's only driving to, you know, Texas instead of California or something. Right. That's not a home field advantage. That's not as special as if Alabama got to play a game in Tuscaloosa and they get to host a, you know, an Oregon or a USC or something like that yeah. in Tuscaloosa. I mean, think of the ticket sales, think of the freaking packed house that you would get there. And you think about it in terms of, you know, other sports, you know, I think about like baseball games, you know, you have like playoff games at Fenway or mm -hmm. you know, something like that, where it's just a huge stadium and there's a lot of character and you got the 
you know, the, the, the crowds are, you know, it's going crazy. The fans are going nuts and everything. And you, you take that out of the game. And, and even for the ability for the underdog or the away team to come in there and silence a stadium and to, you know, that, that amazing moment where all the fans do the surrender Cobra and right. you, know, you, you, you take that away. Yeah. You can still, you know, have those shots, but in a, in a Superdome, at an AT&T stadium, at the Rose Bowl. Like, those are great venues, don't get me wrong. But it just kind of takes something away from it. And I think having those games on campus are, are massive. And I'd rather have more teams involved in it. I'd rather have a lot right. more teams involved because then you have to be sharp for a whole season. You can't just get by on two weeks. I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm so excited to see what this looks like. I, I just feel like, you know, I know, listen, I know it's part of the game uh, and it's, when you're in the off season, you need things to talk about, but crying wolf and saying that the sky is falling and saying that, you know, the sport is being irrevocably harmed two years before we actually implement this. I just, I struggle with that a little bit just because I think, will it be the perfect system? No, of no, course obviously. not. And will it be the last that they expand? No, probably nope. not. We're probably going 16 or even more relatively soon right the committee is just taking this kind of in, in bite-sized pieces which i can appreciate i can appreciate right. that it's not all or nothing that it's not super heavy-handed that changes and measures are allowed to be rolled out and tested and either rolled back or extended right i think that's progress um but yeah to, to say that this is going to be a disaster i i just i i choose to look at this glass half full because the sport is so unique and brings such a such an amazing experience week in week out regardless of the postseason system that we've had like have we yep. stopped loving college football as we moved from no national championship like literally the associated press just assigning a national championship to the BCS now to the four team playoff era and beyond no the passion's still there we yep. still love the game we just get to kind of see it and express it in different ways with, with this postseason rollout. And, and at the end of the day, you just get more football games, right? Yeah. <laughs> we, we complain about it from, you know, when the Super Bowl's over in February until, you know, you get those first week zero games at the end of August. We complain about no football. We're, you know, scrapping together the XFL and, you know, hoping that that can yeah. be fun enough. And then the USFL comes along. Maybe you go north to Canada. You know, you, you're hoping for anything. There's a long yeah. baseball season over the summer, right? And I, I enjoy baseball as much as the next guy, but, you know, it's it ain't football, right? You're not getting football at that point in time, and this is what we want to watch. And to complain about having more of those games and to have a season that's more connected and more games on campus for students to watch and be a part of, I don't know. I just I feel like these are the kinds of things that make the game better. It makes your experience as a student better. If you're at one of those schools, you know, you'll be sharing those stories. But I remember when the first playoff came out and we hosted a game and it was yeah. crazy. And me and my friends stayed up till this time. You know, that'd be that'd be a lot of fun. Right. And you're taking yeah. those stories away if we don't do this. So more stories, more football, a better time. We need it. Right. It's, it's college football. This is what we want. Yeah. Legendary experience for students on campus. Oh, yeah. um, you know, listen. If we get to 2024 and we're wrong and this is a disaster, totally fine. Totally fine. Uh, you know, this is just our opinion, but I want to kind of yeah. see it in action before I'm ready to, to rain on it. <laughs> if one of y'all want to dig this up in a couple of years and show freezing cold takes, I'll I'll say hi right now and you can, you know, say that we were wrong about this one. But I just don't see how this could go wrong. 
Uh, let's move over to the spring transfer window. The portal window to enter the portal has now closed. Um, here we're recording in the uh, first week of May, so I believe it closed maybe a week ago, uh, the very end of April. There are still guys that are in the portal, are able to commit elsewhere, but you had to be in the portal before that April 30th date, I believe it was. Yeah. Uh, so the current class rankings, according to 247, this is transfer class rankings, Colorado, USC, LSU, Auburn, Florida State, Oklahoma, Louisville, Arkansas, UCLA, Ole Miss are the top 10. Um, let's start with Colorado. We talked about them last week. You made a special video as well. Uh, 38 commits coming in. 50, what is it? 53 going out. Um, now you talked about this and there's been a lot of buzz. We recorded a couple of different videos on it. Um, just to kind of reset for, for all the headlines, for all the news, all the media talking heads going back and forth, what do we think is either the, the net pro or the net con that comes out of Colorado because of all these transfers? Look, at the end of the day, I, I want to take a step back, right? Our video last week got a bunch of comments and a lot of Colorado fans saying that, we were dummies and we were morons and clowns and stuff like that for saying that, you know, Colorado was going to be terrible. I can't believe you didn't see that clip where Dion said that everyone should hit the portal. Guys, we saw the clip. Okay. If you follow college football to any degree, you know that Dion said he was going to use the portal. And I think we all expected it, right? He's a coach with a lot of cachet. He can kind of walk in and change a culture overnight. I think we expected a lot of those players who are part of that one and 11 team to leave. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Um, Deion Sanders is unconventional to say the very least, right? This is not something we've seen before in college football. We haven't seen a coach come into a new place and completely turn the roster over 38 coming in 53 going out is not insignificant. That's not okay. Oh, well, who cares? Right. 53 guys leaving your roster, including a couple of guys who are a really big deal. Montana Lamonius Craig, for example, your leading receiver from last year, he yeah. got two touchdowns on 154 yards in your spring game, and the next day decides to leave. That's not a small deal, right? That's no. not someone Dion told to hit the portal. I, I can't imagine him doing that, at least. That doesn't make any sense if you're asking me. Yes, there's going to be more talent on Colorado's roster. Absolutely. We know that. We know their roster is going to get better. They're the number one ranked uh, transfer class right now. The problem that I still see and the problem I'm still going to posit for this is Nobody's done something like this before, and I can't imagine this will be great for a locker room. Uh, you know, I, I was talking about this with a couple people this week about how, you know, when you when you turn a locker room over, right, you, you haven't seen that guy before. He's wearing your same colors. He's wearing your jersey. Y'all are all talking about the same thing. Y'all are all in the same huddles, whatever. But that guy wasn't there last year for all those practices, for all those camps, for all those drills. That guy wasn't there across from you last year. That's not the same team at that point. You can bring in mm -hmm. new players to your team, but when you lose that many guys, this isn't the same team. Now, again, come back at me and say they went 1-11. We don't want that team anymore. That makes a lot of sense. I totally get that. Yes, it does. But, but if we're talking like somehow he's going to bring in all these guys and it's going to be super cohesive and everyone's going to be together and have the same vision and everything else, that doesn't make sense. That just is completely unpatently false. And I don't think that... Dion has done a very good job, at least visually, presenting himself well in all of this. I don't think he's right. presented himself very well. 
I think that there's a lot of negative press going on around this. And you might be a Colorado defender and say that, sure, you know, this is what we all expected. We're happy with this. The fan base is totally fine with it. That's fine. I totally get it. I just don't think that this is a good look nationally. And I think it's going to be really hard to pull guys when you're, you know, looking at, you know, maybe a mixed reputation, right? Right now, what Dion has is reputation. He has a reputation for being that guy who can come in and change a program. He, he did it at Jack State. Great, cool. That's his reputation. He hasn't done it at a Power 5 level. We'll have to wait and see what that looks like. But I just think there's so much overreaction going on around Colorado. This is a team who won one game yep. last year. If yep. they win a couple of games this year, they've improved, and I think that's a credit to Dion. I think it's a credit to bringing in better people. If they win four games this year – I think that's an okay year one if you're Deion Sanders. Yeah. I, I just – I can't believe the overhyping that I've seen. I saw a post today. I, I tweeted it out. Someone put out their their top three quarterbacks in the Pac-12. Huh. And I don't know if it was in this particular order, but the order of the pictures was Shadur Sanders at number one, and then it was Caleb Williams and Michael Penix Jr. And I yeah. said, I don't even think he cracks my top five. I would have put you know guys like – you know, obviously, Caleb Williams is your number one. He's a returning Heisman. You got to talk about guys like Bo Nix. You got to talk about guys like, obviously, Michael Penix Jr. Cam but Rising. Guy, yeah, Cam Rising. Jaden Delara as well. He's great. DJ, possibly. You know, I've, I've seen what DJ can do in college. He's had good games. Yeah. He, he's competed at the Power 5 level. And I just, I don't understand the the overreaction hype about Colorado. I think they're going to be better. And if we're... Dion could pull this off. We could be looking up in a couple of years and Colorado's a perennial, you know, eight and four, nine and three type of team that threatens for the pack. That's absolutely possible. Yeah. We're just not there yet. And I don't no. think it's fair to say that it's a guaranteed crash course that we're going to get there. I, I'll agree with all of that. I don't really need to add a ton more. Uh, it's not that Colorado can't be a success for all those people that are saying that that that's what we're saying. That's not. Um, we're saying hold, hold the horses, right? Um, anything more than four and eight would be a tremendous success in year one. And yeah, for, for folks that just think that, you know, Colorado is going to be fine that, Hey, listen, I don't blame you. You have hope for the first time since the nineties, right? The first time since right. 2004, when Vince Young rolled in and demolished you in that big 12 championship yep. game. I get it. It's been a wilderness for the last 20 years, but to then all of a sudden, you know, drink all the Kool-Aid and assume that Dion is this, you know, chosen one um, when he hasn't coached a single game and hasn't done anything at the power five level, you know, it's just, it's a little naive, right? Uh, And it goes completely against the history of sports and team building. So Hey, if it works out for them, great. Um, I think it's a little bit of a weird precedent to set that, yeah, basically you you know get one high-profile figure who rallies the troops for a couple of years, uh, he wins, and then maybe he moves on, right? Um, so I'm kind of, I'm not saying I'm going to root against Colorado. I'm just hoping it's not a roaring success in year one because the transfer portal is already not what people hoped it would be for the health of the sport. Right. And if we get to if 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 people get to take the LeBron strategy where they just assemble super teams every year and kick off, you know, kids that that aren't that super team to make room for them, that I think would be bad for the long term health of the sport. So right. well, not, not not rooting against them, but also hoping the strategy doesn't pan out in year one. Right. And 
the other thing about it too is we're talking about Dion as this elite coach when he might very well be that level of coach. We we don't know. We haven't seen him at the Power 5 level. But I'd like to remind people that there is a national championship winning head coach at Florida State that went to A&M and didn't make a perfect run in year one, still struggling to get over the hump. You had a guy who's a perennial you know, uh, playoff contending coach at Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley. He went to USC, and they certainly weren't perfect in year one at USC. They, they stumbled down the stretch, couldn't even win their bowl game. And then you have a guy like Brian Kelly, who was plenty established at Notre Dame, all-time winning coach at Notre Dame. He goes to LSU. They had a great first year, but stumbled against AM, couldn't win the conference championship, fell short of the playoff. Obviously, these guys had plenty of success at their first stops, but these were much more established coaches at bigger name programs who also went to bigger name programs than Colorado and still struggled to some extent. I just think if you're a Colorado fan, you got to pump the brakes a little bit here and say, realistically, if we if we're anything close to a bowl contending team, that's a massive win. But let's not pretend like this thing is so bulletproof that, you know, Shadur Sanders is an actual Heisman contender you know, towards the end of the year. I I just think that's a little bit ridiculous. And, you know, we want to, I think we all want to see a competitive Colorado. We just don't want to, we don't want to get our hopes up too much and then assume that, yeah, this team is the team of destiny and Dion's the greatest coach that's ever lived. Uh, Other notable transfer news, Peyton Thorne, quarterback formerly at Michigan State, finds a home on the Plains at Auburn. He's going to compete with Robbie Ashford, who, um, you know, look, I, Gosh, I know a lot of people are rooting for Ashford to be the guy, or at least were before Thorne transferred, because it meant that TJ Finley wasn't the guy. TJ Finley has since entered the transfer portal. He's looking for a new home. I, I think his arm, Thorns, that is, is a big add for Auburn, although I don't know totally what that wide receiver core will look like yet. They're young. Um, I don't believe they have a ton of like super proven guys on that roster, although... Another guy that you just mentioned in Montana, Lamontius Craig, heading out from Colorado. There's a lot of smoke around him going to Auburn. Uh, I think that would be a big pickup for for the Tigers. Who listen? They they were bad last year and they've struggled the last couple of seasons. Auburn might not be the doormat under Hugh Freeze the way that he's recruiting. Well, and also they get to retain the guy that kind of turned some stuff around internally with Cadillac Williams, which. I think it's huge for Auburn, being able to retain him, keep him on staff, keep that kind of heart and soul of the revival. This is the exact opposite of what Auburn actually did. They kept the majority of that team. They've kept a lot of pieces in place. They're still the number four transfer class right now. Um, And yeah, you're right. They're looking at Montana Lamontius Craig and extended an offer to Keon Coleman, who is the former wide receiver one for Peyton Thorne at Michigan State. So you get Keon Coleman, you get Montana, uh, Montana Lamonius Craig in there. You could be looking at a pretty solid receivers core. In addition to the fact that I actually looked through their transfer class earlier, they're bringing in a lot of pieces from the SEC. Like they're kind of just picking from everyone's roster. I think they got an edge guy from Vanderbilt. They picked up another D lineman, I think from Kentucky, uh, a couple of linebackers, you know, in there. So they've picked up some really good pieces in the portal and, you know, Hugh Freeze, <laughs> love him or hate him. You know, think he's a scumbag, whatever. I don't I don't care what you think. I'm sure you all miss fans have some opinions on you know him and his integrity. But for all you may want to say about Hugh Freeze, he's a good coach. He's succeeded yeah. just about everywhere he's gone. And I think he's gonna have Auburn competing. You get a better quarterback in there in Peyton Thorne, right? You get some some talented wide receivers, maybe keep things a little bit better. 
I think that Auburn could look pretty solid next year. And the, the thing that's going to hold them back ultimately is just how strong the SEC West really is, right? The, the, the SEC West still bringing back a lot of pieces. I know Alabama, we've talked about them maybe being in a little bit of trouble, maybe being a little bit down. There's still Alabama, you know, <laughs> Nick Saban's still going to field a good team. Um, you know, obviously with Ole Miss bringing in a new quarterback, we saw what Mississippi State did last year, Will Rogers returning, um, you know, the Arkansas has their quarterback coming back. LSU has their quarterback coming back. LSU looks to be out in front of everybody right now. You know, A&M, not to mention, you know, there's still plenty of talent on that roster. There's a lot of really good teams that SEC West. Auburn, of course, having the issue of playing Georgia as their yearly opponent across the division. Um, yeah, I just it, it's going to be tough to be a winner at Auburn regardless. But if anybody can do it, I think it's Hugh Freeze. And he certainly has them on a good path starting off in, in 2023. Uh, just a, not breaking news, but it's happened since we were on the air. So for folks that are listening to this first thing, you'll you'll see the headlines for this. Kansas State reportedly close to finalizing a $44 million eight-year deal with head coach Chris Kleiman. Fantastic. Big news for the Cats who are trying to establish themselves at the top of the new, the new nice. world order, if you will, the new Big 12. Um, we'll wait till that goes official to kind of break that down. But I think that would be a, a great signing for, for Kansas State. Um, back to the transfer stuff, though. Ben Bryant goes from Cincinnati to Northwestern. Northwestern's been really good about getting transfer, veteran transfer quarterbacks taking one run at a Big 12 title game or a Big 10 title game, excuse me, and then kind of fading to the background. So, you know, maybe Coach Fitzgerald knows what he's doing and uh, Ben Bryant can bring something. We talked about Peyton Thorne. Uh, Keon Coleman, you mentioned Michigan State wide receiver one. Sparty's got issues. We talked about that last week. Um, it's really strange to watch Michigan State just lose lose key players after the spring game. Keon Coleman now has 59 schools who have reached out to him about coming to play. Um, two other guys, or actually three other guys. One guy I really want to get to, Casey Thompson, has not uh, officially done anything yet. He visited Auburn, but Peyton Thorne pulled the trigger there first. And then cornerback Trey Amos, who's uh, getting a lot of Power 5 offers in his first day in the portal. He's in there as well, of course, formerly coached by Billy Napier. Maybe he goes to Florida, who would love some more secondary help. Guy I want to chat about very quickly, and then we'll move to our last topic of the day in the SEC East. Uh, Zakari Franklin, leading wide receiver for UTSA, one of the all-time greats to go through that young program down there in San Antonio. Surprise portal entry. He had 1,300 yards receiving last year for a conference championship UTSA Roadrunners. He's been rumored to Oregon. That would be a huge blow to Meet Meet Nation. It would be a great pickup for Oregon. Yeah, no, he's fantastic. I think we've all had a pretty good time rooting for UTSA the last couple of years. Kind of, you know, we're a Texas podcast. We, we're based in the state. We like keeping up with those teams. And obviously he's been fantastic since he's been there. And, you know, I, I hate saying it for him, but I'm I'm hoping he gets more exposure, right? I, I don't want to do that to UTSA, but... I just feel like getting more exposure helps his draft stock, helps his ability to go and, and, you know, really flourish. And it's not to say that UTSA is nobody. That's not what we're saying. Obviously they've had some success there. They had that. I can't, his name's escaping me, but the defender that got drafted a couple years ago. Um, and look, they're, they're yeah, right. Um, but they're, they're a really good program. They're definitely moving in the right direction. Um, just really want, you know, 
more exposure for him because he's been a lot of fun to watch him going up to Oregon, I think puts them in a really good position. Not that Oregon isn't good already, but having another big threat wide receiver for Bo Nix to toss the ball to would be a lot of fun to watch. So I, I didn't see any news on where he was going. If Oregon is the team eventually, that's, I think, what I'm officially rooting for. Yeah. It'd be a pretty big pickup for them, obviously. Obviously tough for UTSA, but it's it's kind of the game when you're a group of five conference team and you're trying to rise up. You know, you get a guy that, you know, really shows out, still has eligibility. That's the portal right now. So yeah. it's tough, but it makes sense. It absolutely is. Um, yeah, good and bad. Good and bad. We keep commenting on it. Not not ideal uh, for UTSA. It would be ideal for the Ducks. Right. Last thing to hit on here before we get out of here, we make this kind of a quick hitter because I think as we go throughout the rest of the spring and into summer, um, recruiting continues to come to the forefront, of course, as a new recruiting class ramps up. The question that we asked in our group text is, is the crown of the SEC East a little less secure than we originally thought? Georgia's obviously won back-to-back national titles. They have a really good chance to do it three times in a row this season. But you look at what's going on in the state of South Carolina, for instance. Shane Beamer's recruiting the East Coast like nobody's business. He's getting hometown recruits to stay home for the first time in quite some time. He's raiding the Northeast, which recently has really been a target-rich environment. You've had a number of scouts go on record for pieces, I think, in like The Athletic, on three talking about how that New England area has exploded with football talent. Beamer's going up there. You've got Tennessee that's doing Tennessee things. Josh Heupel's got them back on the verge of of being very, very relevant in the playoff and national championship discussion. And then for all their on-field woes and some off-field snafus as well, Florida continues to recruit very, very well. So I'll pitch it to you this way. If there was one team to threaten Georgia and their hold on that conference, who is it? I think if you're really looking at this in terms of SEC, it's just the division. I think you really have to look at Tennessee. I think that's your big play right there. Obviously, they were the big team last year. Did get tripped up by South Carolina. I get it. Um, I think a healthy Hendon Hooker would have made that a different situation, but that that's neither here nor here, right? It's ands, buts. No, no need to you know go down that route. Um, but I think Tennessee is a very good team. I think Heupel is an incredible coach. He's been doing amazing things. He's really turned them around quickly. I think he's got a lot of hype, which helps. He Obviously, the win against Alabama, being able to win their – their uh, I think they played, yeah, the Orange Bowl. That was a big one for them as well, getting the win over Clemson. Clemson. You know, most teams, you know, you get to go, you know, flaunt a win over Alabama and a win over Clemson in the same year. A lot of times it means you won the national championship game. Um, and obviously a little bit of a down year for both of them last year. But um, no, I think for Tennessee, you've got to look at this as you've got a lot of momentum. You've got a lot to build a program on. And Joe Milton, he ain't a he ain't no scrub, right? He's he's a solid quarterback. He can really sling it. I think that he could do some really good things, you know, in that offense. He, he obviously showed out in their bowl game. I think that this is a really potent offense. And I think the the big thing that you have to wonder with Georgia, right? Obviously, top dog, pun intended. Um, but I think with Georgia, the big thing you have to look at is they're, they're turning over a lot of leadership. Not skill, but leadership. They've got a lot of leadership out the door. Stetson Bennett, massive leader on that team. Really felt like he could rally the troops at any point. 
obviously losing, you know, guys on that front end of the defense and, and a lot of really talented players. Yeah. You're losing talent. You're replacing it. You're Georgia, right? You're going to be just fine. No issues there. I, I just really wonder what leadership does in a situation like that, right? They played that game between the hedges last year. If I am correct, they'll play that game in Knoxville this year. Correct. Georgia having to go to Knoxville with a team that might be just as hot as Tennessee was last year. That's a tough place to play. Bama lost there this year. I'm not picking a loss. I'm not picking Georgia to to lose any of these games right now, but if it's going to be one, you have to think it's the volunteers. I mean, it, you can make a case for South Carolina or Florida, but I think volunteers have to be the first in line. I agree. I think Tennessee is kind of the the pick of the litter there. I, I love what Beamer's doing at South Carolina. Oh, yeah. That program seems to be really rallying around him. There's a wave of momentum going. Now, I still don't trust Spencer Rattler uh, no. as, as my quarterback one, so no. I won't pick South Carolina to do anything audacious this season, but I do think nine wins is easily easily within reach. If Rattler can be protected and and uh, be accurate down the field, that offense is going to be a lot of fun. The defense continues to improve. They've got some pass rush in there now. Um, yeah, I just I, I like South Carolina to be a name to watch. I don't think twenty twenty three is their season quite yet, but I do like where they're building. And um, you know, it, it would be nice, honestly, to know that Georgia has to stay awake at night game planning for any one of a couple of teams. Right. Um, Right. So I I don't know that I'd, I'd love where Florida is going just from a program standpoint, the recruiting has been really good, but the on-field product was not good. Some of the, you know, kind of the rumors and the backlash that we've heard behind the scenes, um, obviously the Jaden Rashada stuff that, you know, is, is well in the rear view mirror, but still I think a symptom of, of maybe some dysfunction, uh, in that athletic department. So yeah, I, I, I'm on board. I'm on board with a couple of different flavors that Georgia has to has to worry about. Right. And I will say, I think Napier is a heck of a coach and I think he'll do just fine at Florida. They got to give him some time, which has been an issue at Florida in recent years, you know, giving their coaches time to actually settle in and develop their culture. But obviously you're not going to give him that long of a leash. You're going to, you're going to make sure that he can turn things around quick or you're going to find your next guy. That being said, I, I totally agree with you with South Carolina that maybe next year is when we're really looking at a good South Carolina team competing for that conference. I, I would say this too, depending on how they perform this year, you know, if they get to nine wins, I could see them landing a huge quarterback transfer or, or, or some situation like that, where they're now the the transfer destination next year, right? They've right. proven it for a couple of years at that point. They keep improving. Maybe nine wins gets them to a pretty high profile bowl game and they win. I think a little bit more exposure and you're starting to, you're starting to say, you know, Hey, maybe South Carolina is not a joke. Maybe it wasn't a fluke. You know, maybe Beamer knows what he's doing. I think he does. He certainly seems like a fun coach to play for. Um, I think that's definitely a situation, but um, yeah, I, I think you could see them maybe next year making that big jump, especially in the transfer portal. Let us know who you think could shake things up in the sec East, as well as, your favorite transfer. If you've got a direction that you think like Casey Thompson should go in, um, Zakiri Franklin should go, let us know in the comments on whether it's YouTube, our social media handles at 3TechPod on Instagram, on Twitter. You can find us in all those locations. If you're watching us on YouTube, uh, thank you so much for joining that. We're really growing a lot on the YouTube side and we absolutely love it. If you're on the podcasting side, 
head on over to our YouTube channel, hit subscribe, and uh, we have tons, excuse me, tons of content that comes out every single week. It's been a blast. We just finished up the NFL draft and uh, now get to really look forward to season previews, which oh, is yeah. just around the corner. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I've I've had a good time this spring. Obviously, spring ball is a lot of fun to talk about with the NFL draft going on and everything else. But it's time to really start setting our sights to next season. Talk about who's going to win, who's going to be the big teams, why it's not going to be Colorado. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Got to take that one more shot, I guess, just to prove that we hate Colorado for some reason. That's that's I guess what our YouTube comments think. No, definitely, definitely not, definitely not. Uh, well, for Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for listening and or watching. It's been uh, another edition of the 3Tech Pod. We look forward to speaking with you again next week, a new batch of college football news coming right down the pike. Until next time, so long, everybody. Yeah.